0: Let's continue worship with a reading from Ephesians four, eleven through fifteen. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children. Tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Please say hello to the person next to you as you sit down. Uh, good, morning. good morning. How are we doing? Alright, if you're a guest, welcome. I'm glad you're here. Um, if I can, let me, can I just start with prayer today? Is that okay? Alright, let me pray for us. Uh, Jesus, we ask Holy Spirit you to come. Father, would you, um, th- we were praying earlier in the service, we just got this image. I, I just, the, of uh, Jesus speaks um, peace over a raging storm, and nature itself submits to the voice of Jesus. Uh, Father, I, I pray for every heart in this room. Uh, for whom the chaos of their lives right now are just turmoil, just waves crashing over their heads. Jesus, you speak peace, God. God, would you calm the raging storms that we, if we're honest, often feel powerless under. God, come exert your authority over the forces in our lives that are overwhelming us, Jesus. Help us, God. We love you. In your name we pray these things. Amen. Amen. We are um, in a conversation about maturity. It's super fun. Um, with the overarching point being, it's optional. Maturity is optional as a person, as a Christian. You don't have, no one's going to force you uh, to really be a mature person. Uh, you can grow your whole life and be a grown-up baby. Um, it's true. And what we pointed out, so you can see this is super fun. What, we're talking, um, what we pointed out last week um, is hey man, listen. You're a different person than you are than you were five years ago. Today, you're a different person. You've changed. Not not just physically. Some of you are like, thanks for pointing that out. Yeah, I know that. No, but but spiritually, emotionally, like your heart, your mind, the state of your relationships are going in a direction. They're going in a direction. And we've just been saying, man. What is that direction? Let's just think about it together as friends, right? You're constantly absorbing ideas, conversation, experiences, habits, things you're giving your attention to, and what we're trying to tell you is all of that, all of it, even the seemingly unspiritual things, maybe even especially those things, are forming you. They're impacting who you are becoming, and the question is not, am I changing? That's not the question. The question is, who am I changing into? And maybe the real question we pointed out last week is, what are the things that are forming you into the kind of person you are becoming? (laughs) And so, last week, we kind of did this thing where we thought about the trajectory of our lives and our hearts, right? And we said, who I was last year, this time last year, who I am today, if we just put those two things on a scale... Is that going in the trajectory of Christ-likeness? In other words, do I look more like, am I more kind, (laughs) more forgiving, more gracious, more generous this year than I was last year? And we said, okay, well, if we can be honest about that, which I'm not going to assume you can. Self-awareness is a hard thing. But if you can be honest about that, then we said, okay, let's go 20 years. Where does that put you? If you stay on the course you are right now, what kind of person will you be in 20 years? And I just was happy to say, I'm going to be an awesome guy. Just, I'm going to be, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. No, there are days that I've done that and thought, dude, this is great. Like, man, this is, and there are other days that I've done that. And I said, dude, I'm not, I'm probably not going to be a Christian. Can I be honest? Like, I've looked at the trajectory of my life and thought in 20 years, if I stay on the course I'm going with the anger that I haven't, with the fresh, with the, like, I'm, I'll be surprised if there's a shred of faith in my heart in 20 years. That's what we're trying to get at. We're trying to talk about who we are becoming as people and take it seriously, man. Like good character will not just pop up in your life. You have a part to play in this. You're not gonna trip over good character like you just trip over, oh, all of a sudden I'm an awesome. No, dude, all the things that you are doing today are forming you. Do you know that everything in our service is intentional? Like, the reason we read scripture, the reason we take communion, the reason we anchor all of what we talk about in the Bible, because we believe it's forming us, it's formational, Showing up, man, it's all, I'm getting so far off my nerves. Okay, let's get to what we're talking about today. We have, as a church, we have four values. What we would just say, ingredients. And these are the four things we're going through. And what we're saying is if you're not pushing the gas in your heart and life in these four areas, you are stagnating as a Christian. More than likely, your Christian life is out of balance and maybe in, in a place of stagnation. And the four things are um, worship, worship formation, uh, mission, and community. Those are the four areas that we've been kind of digging into. And what we've said, if you're gonna mature as a Christian, dude, these four things are gonna be functioning. They're gonna be functioning in your life. Or you could say it this way, in any serious disciple of Jesus who's following him with this, with all their heart, these are happening. These are happening, right? If So if to grow as a Christian, if that's on your agenda, and I'm not saying it is, let's be real, but if it is, If your heart is, man, I want to change, like I I actually do want to grow, I I really, I want to have more wisdom next year, this time, like I want to have more joy, I want to, if your heart's desire is like honestly, like really, not like if it's convenient, but like no, no, I really want it, like if your heart's desire is I really want to be more in love with God. This time, next, I want to be kinder. Okay, well, I'd say you, these four things you have to be pushing the gas on. Now, they're not synonymous with maturity, um, not, not really, but they create an atmosphere where growth can happen, perhaps the only place where Christian growth can happen, right? Um, today, we're going to talk about community, okay? <laughs> Everyone buckle up. <laughs> Relationships. uh, Friendships. Uh, Particularly, our interest today is what kind of community, what kind of relationships are necessary if our goal is actually to be more like Jesus? Okay? Or you can say it this way what's the connection between maturing as a disciple, okay, of Jesus, if that's on your itinerary? I'm not saying it is, okay? But if that's on your goal, if you want to mature as a disciple of Jesus, what's the connection between this and the community that you find yourself in? How does community impact your discipleship and vice versa? How does your walk with Jesus impact your community and relationships? Now, I think most thoughtful people would say, yes, there's a connection for sure. uh, But how and in what way do these two things impact the other? Okay, so that's the big picture for today. So let me just, one note before we get into this, I wanna clarify this for us. Our mission as a church and as a group of friends is to be a people who are declaring and delighting in the beauties of Jesus. So I guess you could say, that's really my goal for you. That's my goal for you. Like, I want you to be the kind of person who can, who has the capacity to declare and delight in the beauties of Jesus. That's what I want for you, okay? So all your heart holistically In that direction, and as a consequence of that, have a natural unforced impulse to invite others into God's joy. Um, Because I believe, I really believe this, guys, um, that you will not know what it fully means to be alive as a human until you step into what you were created for, which is intimate, unobstructed, mutually delightful relationship with your creator. I really believe that like from the bottom of my heart. So that's our goal. And I believe that's God's goal for you. So that means everyone in this room is invited, no matter where you come from, what secret sins you have, what imperfections, insecurities. But our goal is that your participation here is actually working towards the transformation of your real life, like how you actually live, so that one year from now, right? So, so that real transformation is happening. Now, I say all that just to remind you, we are going in a direction as a church and as a community and you are invited to come. Like, my heart is electrified at the thought of you deciding to come with us. Like, the, like, go to, like, highways and byways, like, the more the merrier. But I think this conversation is a really good time to remind you that the vision is every single one of us running full steam ahead. All of our passion, all of our energy, all of our intelligence towards the total transformation of our hearts and lives as we surrender to the kingdom of Jesus. That's the direction we're going. Some of you might say, I don't, I'm not sure if I really, well, that's okay, man, I mean, just hang out with us. But, dude, that's what I'm calling you to. That's the vision, y'all, that you, that you are running full steam ahead towards total transformation in Christ. Like, submitting, surrendering every single part of your heart and life to Jesus, right? Full surrender, complete, total transformation. If you can, in some way, say yes to that, like, if you, like, really say yes to that, uh, I think this season of your life, if you're a part of this church, will be transformational. I believe that with all my heart. Like, this will be a greenhouse for spiritual growth for you, if you can say yes to that. If not, you're probably already bored. Okay, so let's go. Community, relationships, and some of you are like, yeah, I was bored. Okay, community, relationships, friendships. Let's do this first. What I'm about to say to you, I talk like this a lot because I think it's really important for us to realize, no matter what topic we're getting into, right, and and it's this. Your view of community has been largely shaped by the society in which you live. Yeah, it's true. Some of you are like, I'm... I'm anti culture. Okay, well, let's just chat. Okay. I'm, I'm sub culture. Okay. Look, every culture, every age, every society has a working template for how relationships and community are supposed to function. This is inescapably true. Okay, now, we like to pretend that we're not a product of our time and we're above that and look at how I dress and I'm clearly a rebel and I do my own thing and I'm not cookie cutter guppy. <laughs> And culture and society hasn't formed me. Um, That's not true. Uh, The reality is, me and you are a product of our time and place just as much as anybody. Which means that me and you have a pair of glasses on that color and even distort the way you look at everything, community and relationships included. This is really important for us to always acknowledge. A worldview has been handed to you of what it means to have friends, and what are those friends supposed to do, and what's community about, and what's community supposed to do in your life, right? And so we have to have that in our hearts and minds, and then we have to let scripture confront that. And if we're willing to do that, we may come out with a completely new and radical way of not only seeing community, but of seeing the whole world, right? So, there's a whole lot we could identify with how our time, place, culture, society has formed the way we think about community and relationships. A lot could be said, okay? We could talk about how the structures of society, like just the structure, okay, breeds isolation. We could talk about that. Like the norm, single family household, we live alone, we own everything we need. We have our own copy of everything we need. We drive our own cars. If you need something, you buy it first. You don't borrow it from people, you go buy it. We entertain ourselves alone. The structures of the past, even the past 15 years of the internet has bred not connection in community, but isolation in community. These are just the structures of our society, right? Listen, dude, I mean, come on, man. You don't have to ever deal with a human being anymore. You can order your groceries. You can order everything you need, deliver it to your door. Don't talk to me. Leave it on the doorstep. All day, dude, these are the structures of our society, breed isolation, but we're not going to talk about that. We could talk about how, that's one thing, we could talk about how modern ideologies are ripping our communities into shreds. We could talk about that. We could talk about how we think full and unrestrained autonomy, uh, it's, the sociological term is expressive individualism, Okay is the highest good of humanity. That's an ideology that's the air we breathe. Full and unrestrained autonomy is the highest, most sophisticated good of humanity, right? If the highest good of life is doing whatever I want, whenever I want to do, then marriage, family, is probably not for you. Like even long-term friendships. Because love and family and friendships are by nature limiting, right? Marriage especially, to fall in love, is to limit yourself. To that one person. And if I want to be totally free and do whatever it is, if if full fulfillment and enlightenment is complete liberation of all my inner desires and that's, okay, well then, dude, marriage is out, bro. You can't be married. Because what if your self-expressive individuality wants to pursue another woman? Well, dude, it's out. You're gone. Dude, love itself is limiting. If you're going to submit to love, you have to submit to the limitations of love. See, we don't get that, do we? We think, oh, it's all free. And no, dude, love restricts options, bro. You think love is doing whatever you want? Okay, let's keep going. Marriage is out. <laughs> Marriage is out. All right. If, what if, I mean, so we could talk about that. Let's just move on. Okay. Some, some form, let me just say this. When it comes to self-expressive, uh, what's the word, individual expression? I forgot it. Express, what is it? Someone knows it anyway. Thank you. Expressive individualism. Thank you. If that's the thing, right, what if loyalty to your friends or family come in conflict with that? Dude, some form of self-constraint is necessary in community. And we do not have much tolerance for that today, do we? No. Because the air we breathe, the self-constraint is evil and repressive and antiquated, right? We could talk about that, but we're not going to talk about that. The main thing that I want to talk about today is the way our society and culture has distorted our view and community in terms of, we, it has taught us to view community, friendships, people, and churches as consumable goods. People, communities, friendships, churches are commodities. These days, aren't they? Do you need them? Nah, not really. They're nice to have around, I guess, if they suit me. And they exist. Let's get clear on this. All these things exist to meet my felt needs. And the results of that is navigating through relationships, churches, and friendships like we would a restaurant experience. This is how me and my wife walk into a restaurant, right? Walk in the room on the throne of my consumer power. And I survey the dust on the floorboards. And I start to think, oh, yeah, I'm not sure if that server has washed their hands, right? And if they don't have their junk together, I'm going to use my consumer power. One star! (laughs) I'm a local guide on Google. You know, I will burn this place to the ground. <laughs> That's a thing. Don't talk to me like you haven't walked in a restaurant like that. I see. I know you. All right? You are, and we're like, should we leave a review, babe? Yeah, we, I mean, it's got bad, right? It's getting pretty bad, right? So we walk into relationships just thinking the same way. If this thing requires more of me than I think it ought, if it requires more patience, if it rubs me wrong, if it limits me, confronts me, or God forbid, reveals any inconsistencies or hypocrisies in me, makes me feel comfortable in any way, we spit them out of our mouth, we leave a bad review on Google, we find someone else who will meet our needs, and then we tell all of our friends about the bad experience we had with that person. (laughs) Aren't you glad you came to church today? Can I say something to you that might save you from living frustrated and angry for the rest of your life? From hopping to church to church, from friend to friend, from job to job, from, uh, for, for every three years? That's about the time frame. Three years that time. You're like, yeah, I'm getting about three years at this church. I was thinking about <laughs> can, I just, can I just say something? You have been thoroughly discipled in a little something called consumerism. All of us. And it's taught us to judge relationships in churches and communities by their entertainment value and whether or not they meet your preferences. Listen, this is true. I don't care how spiritual think you are, right? Your time, your place has influenced you in subconscious ways that affect the way you look at people, right? And if you're like, no, 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 not me. Not me. I, I love people. Okay, I don't doubt that. I don't doubt that. Just the next time someone rubs you wrong or offends you, or tries to help you by instructing you in something you don't think you need, just pay attention to what's happening in your heart. Okay? Maybe you love everybody, or maybe you just love those who agree with you about politics and social issues. I don't know. Either way, I'm telling you, rampant consumerism, like it is in our society, greatly impacts the way you think about relationships, whether you want to admit it or not. And when something completely permeates a society, it's really hard to see. Right? It's like trying to convince a fish that he's in water. And he's like, what's water? You know? <laughs> or trying to describe air to someone, you know, like a kid. Like it's all around you. They're like, well, I don't see it. You're like, well, it's there, you know. Okay, consumerism, okay. <laughs> it's there. <laughs> you might say at this point, well, okay, Chris. All right, coming out a little hot out the gate, so back off a little bit, please. But isn't half the point of relationships and church and community like to meet others' needs? Dude, totally, like 100%, 100%. Yes, 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 it is. Dude, the early church, like totally crazy generosity. Like, characterized by people selling things, giving, like, giving 100%. Dude, yes. Acts 2.48, 2.45. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. That's crazy, right? Ecclesiastes even. Two are better than one, right? Because they have a good reward for their toil. If they fall, one will lift them up. Isn't that the point? Oh, the, yes, you're correct. It is a huge part of community. Like Jesus said, like, they're going to know you're my disciples by what? Your love for one another, right? So true. I think the issue is when you come to friendships or community or a church as a Christian and say, I'm here to not really have my needs met, but my preferences. And then maybe I'll consider like loving and being generous and being sacrificial, can I just tell you that that approach is 100% consumerism, and it's already tainted the way you walked in the door, <laughs> and you will continue, it will continue to taint how you experience everything because you've come to it with your own set of expectations, that, which is, everyone here exists to meet my needs, wants, and preferences. That approach completely dismisses the power of grace in a personal way. And it's classic. This is how it works. Oh, our eyes get on everyone else, right? And we judge a relationship or a community by them, right? And then completely fail to see how like, oh, I'm a part of this relationship, <laughs> right? So it's real, stay with me, stay with me. It's really fascinating how different people respond to seeing dysfunction and sin in others. Have you ever paid attention to this? How people respond to dysfunction and sin in others. Do you just pay attention? Like, first of all, you're probably going to surprised at how much just talked about. But first of all, so, some, other than that, some people, like, they almost get the sense that they relish it. They're like, they can't wait to point out to their friends the hypocrisies they saw in this place. Or the, or this the, they just, like, it's weird. It's like, you're almost like, you're excited about this. Like, a little too excited. Like, what? Right? But then... You have other people, when they see dysfunction and sin or failure, it's weird. They'll, they become burdened. Like, it affects their hearts. And they get this impulse. It's weird, man, how, people, how different people respond to sin and dysfunction. They, see, they get this impulse to get under it with that person. Like, it's bizarre, and they want to, th- their heart is, like, grieved, and they want to get under it, and they want to push it up. It's super fascinating to see people's response to others, and to me, it points out this one telling factor, whether or not that person understands grace as an aloof doctrine or is it a personal reality. Like, do they under- understand grace in some ethereal way, or do they understand it as a personal reality of their life and heart, right? How people respond to sin immediately shows their understanding of grace. This is what 2 Corinthians 9 8 says, that God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, a lot of all's in there, you may abound in every good work, right? So you see the outcome of grace is so that you may abound in every good work. See, consumerism takes grace. Sure, why not? I mean, it's, I mean, it's about me, probably, right? Everything's about me, so grace is probably about me too, right? But then, consumerism ignores the direction of grace, primarily that it's made to flow through you. Consumerism says, no, 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 no. Grace is for me, and it's so that others may abound in good works that benefit me, All right? That's what consumerism says. Let me just read you a snippet right here from Eugene Peterson. You're going to love this. Eat this book. We live in an age in which we have all been trained from the cradle to choose for ourselves what is best for us. We have a few years of apprenticeship at this before we are sent out on our own, but the training begins early. By the time we can hold a spoon, we choose between half a dozen cereals for breakfast. Our tastes, inclinations, and appetites are consulted endlessly. We are soon deciding what clothes we will wear and what style we will have, our haircuts. The options proliferate. What TV channels we will view? What courses we will take in school? What college we will attend? What courses we will sign up for? What model and color of car we will buy? What church we will join? The new holy trinity is the sovereign self, and it expresses itself in holy needs, holy wants, and holy feelings. The new trinity doesn't get rid of God or the Bible. No, no, no. It merely puts them in the service of my needs, my wants, and my feelings. Which is fine with us. For we've been trained all of our lives to treat everyone and everything that way. It goes with the territory. It's the prerogative of the sovereignty of self. Thanks, Eugene. Let's go cry in the corner for a while. See... God's grace has a direction, man. It does not terminate on you, right? He freely gives so that you can freely give. When we experience God's grace on a personal level, dude, it cures us of consumeristic approaches to relationships. Because when we say yes to his grace, our souls become filled with, that's what the the scripture said, all sufficiency. Can you imagine? In all things, at all times, and on a fundamental level, the grace of God changes how you view people. It changes how you view humanity. So maturity and community can walk in a room, walk in a relationship. It can see and acknowledge shortcomings and inconsistencies. Then it says, how can I get under this person or relationship or situation and push them up towards Christlikeness? Jesus showed us this, y'all, that maturity and community is about lowering yourself. That's what maturity and community looks like. It's not, in in fact, to the point that he says, hey, if you're going to lead, you better put on a towel and wash people's feet. It's a completely different definition, isn't it, of what maturity looks like. That's bizarre to us. Dude, servants are the people that no one has to acknowledge or look in the eye or even say thank you to. And yet Jesus says, oh, actually, that's what maturity and discipleship looks like. This is upside down to us, isn't it? Philippians 2 nails it in for us. He says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not look to only his own interests, but also the interest of others. Have this mind among you, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant? Being born in the likeness of man and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This is what maturity in community looks like. And until you are willing to put your hand to this plow, I'm not sure if your friendships and community and even your church will function the way God wants it to function in your life. I just don't know. See, if the waters of God's grace does not flow through you and to others, you begin to stagnate. You lose interest. Things begin to stink. You ever been in the Dead Sea? I've not, but I've told it's stinky. You've probably seen little, uh, little those things, what are those things called next to the creeks where the, they're kind of a pool? It's, you know, it's just nasty and mucky on top. That's called stagnation and it stinks. That's because it's not flowing. It's not flowing. It's not going. And the mistake that happens in our hearts and minds is we begin to think the stink is everyone else. And so we bail. And it's weird because three years down the road, we start smelling the same smell again. And we think these people are stinky too. And we bail again. And then three years, to, it's funny, about a three-year shelf down the road, we think, oh, that's stinky again. You've missed a fundamental truth about grace, friend. It is not meant to terminate on you. It doesn't end on it flows through you. And until you begin to understand that, you'll always, it'll always get stinky after a while. Dude, you got to let it out, man. You got to love others. You got to serve them. You got to get underneath them. You got to push them up where things begin to get stinky. This is how discipleship to Jesus impacts your community and your relationship, right? People like Jesus did, right? When we start to feel this, when Jesus looked out over the masses, sorry, that was confusing. When Jesus looked out over the masses, he was not filled, like some of us are, let's be honest, with contempt. <laughs> right? Look at look at all these people. Ugh. Right? No, he was filled with compassion. See, his heart felt the burden of not having a shepherd. Right? And a couple weeks ago, I don't know if you were with us, but we gave this image of what it would look like if you, as a Christian, began to leverage your intellects, Your energy, your emotional resources, leverage it to push other people up. And what we just pointed out, just the funny thing about leveraging is when we begin to pull, if we're going to try to pull someone up, it's just naturally we begin to go down and they begin to go up. What an interesting picture of what maturity in a relationship looks like. It looks like you taking your resources, emotional resources, intellectual resources, and Putting yourself underneath, considering them more significant than yourselves, and pushing them up. Dude, this is bizarre, man. This is so confrontational to how we think about relationships and friendships. Right? But if we intend to follow Jesus, we have to know. We have to follow him here, too. We have to begin to see people the way that he saw people. right? We follow the guy who, though he was rich for your sake, became poor. So that by his poverty, you might become rich. Guys, we can't be a disciple to Jesus if we're, if we're not willing in some way to do this in our relationships and community, right? Startling. So that's how discipleship and maturity, or lack thereof, will impact your community. Now, what about the opposite? What about how community, what about how your friendships impact your discipleship and maturity? Let's think about that for a second, right? How, how are these people around you supposed to be uh, causing you to become more mature, more like Jesus. Like, what is that process supposed to look like? Because I'll tell you right now, that's not all the way that friendships work in my history. Like, I don't know about you, like in high school, think about how friends, you know, you get to hang out with the wrong crew and all of a sudden you're, you know what I mean? Like, I, (laughs) honestly, like I'm kind of that influence on my buddies today. I'll be like, hey, you want to hang out? And then like three hours later, we're hanging off like an 80-foot cliff, like trying to spit on a bird or something like that, you know, like I can have a kind of a bad influence. All friendships don't do that. Right? They don't push you towards Jesus. So what's the dynamic in community and relationship that's supposed to happen in that way for us? They're supposed apparently there's supposed to be a goal, right? And or you, you might you might say it this way, biblically speaking, friendships, marriages, and community churches don't exist to make you happy, but rather to make you holy. Amen. To make you holy. And so no wonder they're so annoying at times, right? <laughs> because do you know how they often do it? Do you know how relationships and community and, and, and marriages often make you holy? Do you know how? Often it's by offering you a mirror. Do you know what I mean by that? Well, you didn't know you were a selfish schlob until you got married. And then, and then all of a sudden it's like, what do you mean I'm supposed to do the dishes right now? Right? What do you mean you're supposed to rinse off the plate before you put it? That's what the dishwasher's for. Right? What are you talking about? Right? Find yourself fighting over whether or not to put mushrooms on a pizza. Right? All of a sudden, we're crying and driving home and walking home, whatever. Right? This is so dumb. Why, why am I being so selfish and petty? Well, the conclusion that I came to, early, it was, oh, it's because I'm selfish and petty, right? Real, right? Relationships often help us by helping us see ourselves. They're a mirror sometimes, and we tend to be rather unaware when there's egg on our face or cilantro in our teeth. <laughs> aren't we? And it's really, it's actually the people that love you who will say, oh, bro, oh, you got a little uh, something. Oh, nope, you just made it worse. Uh, here, let's try again, right? Because your spiritual and emotional maturity is often, everyone, take a big breath in, unknown to you. You are not aware <laughs> of where you're at. This is often, we, just like we're often not aware of the state, it's not very complicated, often like we're not aware of the state of our face, We're not aware of the state of our emotional or spiritual maturity until we are confronted and a mirror is held up and we begin to see, oh, there's a different way to do that, right? We just struggle to see these things in ourselves. We often can't tell when something is growing to a destructive place of dominance in our lives. And if I don't have a brother who loves me enough to say, Chris, I've noticed, like you've been doing this thing and like, it kind of seems like like your life might be kind of going to the left a bit. And I just want to say, like, I love you, bro. But, like, man, it, how's, what's going on with this? Was, do you feel that trend, Chris? Like, do you feel this drifting, right? Or, or someone that loves you enough to say, actually, dude, it's not the circumstance of your marriage. It's your attitude that's sabotaging your marriage. Like, I get that there's stress going on, but I love you. And that stress is gonna keep happening. And it's actually your, your approach to this thing that's like shooting yourself in the foot. Dude, if you don't have someone in your life that loves you enough to say, I, I am sorry. Like, I can't imagine the years and years of strife and frustration that could have been avoided if someone could just told you, dude, actually, it's, there's something on your face here. Like, you're a part of this. See, we tend to see things from one perspective, ours. <laughs> and of course, ours is the right one, right? But are, it, you need friends who love you enough to say, hey, man, I think your perspective might be a little skewed. Bro, you're drifting. Think about that word, drifting. You don't want to be fishing out in the ocean, like you get out there with your kayak, right, and you get, you get looking at what you're doing, and all of a sudden you look up, and you're like, oh, I don't, know. I don't recognize anything. Oh, no, you know? That, that's a slow drift. Guys, the state of our souls, our maturity, is very much like this. You're a, you, you start slowly drifting, and all of a sudden, you're a miles out, and you don't know which way's right. See, if you don't have someone in your life that says, "Oh, hey, hey," you drifting a little bit. Oh, dude, oh, you're right. If you don't have someone who loves you enough to say that, right? Because we just don't sense it in our. What I'm, what I'm trying to tell you is, we don't sense it in ourselves. We are often not aware that we are drifting towards addiction that we're drifting towards a, a something that could ruin us. Like, bro, I see that hobby in your life. I love that hobby. I'm so glad you get to do that. How is it affecting your time spent with your fam? <laughs> like, how do you respond to that? Well, who do you think you are, All right, Get out of here, right? We, dude, Jesus had a word for this. This is really fascinating. In, in, in Luke 12:1, he said, Beware... The leaven of the Pharisees. You know what that word is? It's prosecco, not the wine, okay, or the whatever champagne. It's the same word that sailors would call to each other when they were docking a boat. It means watch the drift, bro. Watch the drift. It means be aware of where you're going. Do you know what the leaven of the Pharisees was? It was hypocrisy. Jesus said, "It's like a slow drift." It's really hard to see in yourself. Or his his analogy was yeast, wasn't it? Leaven. He said hypocrisy is this thing that works itself into the fibers of your life and it transforms everything on the inside and you don't even really notice it. That's what hypocrisy is like. We need people. I don't know about you. I need people who love me enough who want me to grow and mature, in some cases, who have a better vision for my life than even I have, who will lovingly call me out and say, dude, you're drifting. Because if we're honest, we struggle to see it in ourselves. So Now, now, okay, now let's talk real. That's really great, Chris. Sounds great out in theory. Okay, have you ever tried to do this for someone you love? (laughs) I guess you haven't, because you don't think it's funny. Okay. (laughs) Have you you ever tried to lovingly confront a brother and be like, hey, man, hey, listen, listen, I love you. Like, you said you were going to do this, but you haven't done it. Like, it's really fun, really fun. Like, forget Disney. Forget Disney. Let's just confront each other's hypocrisy. Like, it it is fun, more fun than a barrel of monkeys, right? Some of us would rather deal with a barrel of monkeys than do this. Uh, If that's the picture of maturity and community, some of you are like, nah i'm good right it's like that's like walking through a minefield bro like if someone's gonna lose a leg right <laughs> we're gonna go around doing this like if, is that what maturity in community looks like some of us say, i'm out right some of you are probably like you know i was on the edge about this church anyway like i don't know right i don't need chris pointing out you know my like chris he can't, can't even cut his cut his yard right seen his yard like his car is a trash dump right that's what we do. That's immediately what we do when someone tries to count and we start to deconstruct them, right? Maybe some of us are just like, dude, listen, I'm Han Solo, bro. You know, I'm Han Solo. I'm Lone Ranger in this thing. I've been doing this for years. I'm pretty fine as an island. Um, I'll take being isolated and not known over people getting in my business. Listen, if that's you, I totally get it. Like, like, I totally get it. Like, I'm kind of there. Like, me and my wife, I will <laughs> me and my wife. She's always looking at, like, Zillow's, like, out in the boonies. Like, what are you doing? Like, we, need, like, okay. I get it. Having your blind spots exposed is not fun. I guess the good news for you uh, from that perspective is maturity is optional. You can opt out. You can opt out. I think the question is, what does a loving community really look like? Isn't that the question? Like, what is it? Like, does it mean we ignore slow drifting towards dysfunction and sin and hypocrisy? Like, is that what loving your bro, like, is that what it means? Is that what considering others more important than yourself means? I think, dude, sometimes considering other people more important than yourself will look like helping them see their blind spots. And the fact that they are slowly drifting towards darkness that they are not aware of. Maybe not. Maybe letting people just go down a waterfall because they didn't see it coming is love. I don't know. Maybe, maybe, but that just doesn't feel very loving to me long term, okay? The obvious question that I want to end with, right, is if this is the way that community is supposed to impact our discipleship, how do we actually do that? Can we just spend a few minutes on that? Then we'll get out of here, okay? What does it look like to lovingly help others see their blind spots in a way that lifts them up? and doesn't tear them down. And there's two sides to consider, isn't there? Two paths of maturity that have to be walked on if this is going to be walked out. And there, the one is this. The first way is the way we talk to others about their blind spots. And the second way is the way we receive observations from others about our blind spots. All right? and the first one, let me just say this quickly. To confront someone with areas of drifting and hypocrisy in a loving way will take more humility and kindness and generosity than you have at your, in, inside you you will have to lean on the Holy Spirit, okay? It's just, it's, it's really, really hard to do because the first thing the person will question is your intentions, okay? And they will be prone to think, you're just trying to tear me down, you jerk, and you don't like me anyway. And all their insecurities and their anxi- anxieties in, in an area that they probably already know is out of balance will flame up, right? And, and, and some of them will turn and tear you to pieces, They will, right? So your first challenge, if you're going to step into this role, is living a life of so much love and acceptance and generosity that when you come to the table with these things, people already know that you have their best intentions in mind. Like you've already calmed the fears. Now, if you're living your life the exact opposite of that, you're not the person for the job. Keep your mouth shut. Let someone else do it. If, I'm serious. If you've already disqualified yourself by not living lovingly and graciously, if you don't have good intent for the people around you, keep your mouth shut, man. You're in the wrong place. That's not, not for you. Like some of us are like, I love conflict. Bring it on, right? You're a jerk probably, okay? Don't do that, <laughs> right? But listen, if you notice, many of the letters of Paul are correctional in essence. They're, they're saying, I love you so much. You've strayed from the gospel, Dude, almost all the letters of Paul are correctional. And do you know why? He's saying, because I love you guys, right? The essence, like read Galatians, man. Read 2 Corinthians. Almost all of the letters of the New Testament are corrective in nature. And when Paul would write to confront and address imbalances, he would say things like, I wrote to you out of great distress and anguish of heart with many tears, not to grieve you, but to let you know the depth of my love for you. If your heart isn't willing to step in the mess and shoulder up and bear the burden of the mess with that person, keep your mouth shut. You're not in the right place to do it. I'm sorry, that was so aggressive. I will back off now, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Guys, uh, (laughs) some of you hate this and some of you love this, obviously. Um, you, You just aren't mature enough for it. It's okay, breathe, I've been there, okay? Just let someone else do it, okay? Now, the other side The other side of this is receiving admonition. That's a a churchy word uh, for means correct, warning. Same thing, admonishment, right? The other side is how to hear it when someone points out your blind spots receiving their words. This probably is harder with grace. It probably is harder to receive constructive criticism with grace than it is to give it with grace. I don't know, maybe not, I'm not sure. Uh, but the Bible is repetitively clear on this. Proverbs 12.1, he who hates reproof is stupid. My kids would shake their heads because I said the S word. Proverbs 10.17, whoever heeds instruction, instruction. Everyone loves reading the instructions, don't they? Is on the path to life. But he who rejects reproof, he leads others astray. Poverty and disgrace come to him who ignores instruction, but whoever heeds reproof, he's honored. Whoever ignores instruction, dude, this is heavy, despises himself. <sighs> but he who listens to reproof gains intelligence. Proverbs 19:20 Listen to advice and instruction, and accept instructions that you may gain wisdom in the future. But the wise man, the, 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 the wise person, the mature person, he sees this whole dynamic extremely differently. Proverbs 17.10, a rebuke goes deeper into a man of understanding than a hundred blows into a fool. In fact, the mature person looks at this whole dynamic of receiving instruction and, in, and rebu- rebukes, that they, they don't run from it. The, a mature person actually sees it as a kindness let's wrap our brains around that for a second shall we psalms 141 let a righteous man strike me it is a kindness let him rebuke me it is oil for my head let my head not refuse it how do you see it when a brother or sister who loves you confronts you with a different perspective than the one you're entrenched in? How, how do you receive it? When the brother who loves you says, how many drinks have you had, bro? You drinking every night? When someone says, hey man, I, bro, bro, listen, I love you. I heard you yelling at your kids the other day. How, how, are things stressful? I'll tell you how I want to respond. <laughs> someone says, Hey man, listen, I noticed you were spending a lot of time on your phone. Oh, don't you dare. Don't you dare, then, right? <laughs> right? I'm doing work on my phone, right? How's your work life balance, man? Like, you still available for, for mama at home? Or like, you checking out? What's going on? How do you respond when someone does that to you? Because here's, here's the deal. <laughs> <Deer>. <laughs> here's the deal. Dear. Here's the deal. A sure bet to avoid maturing as a person is to bail. As soon, on the relationship as soon as someone points out you may be drifting. Just bail. Just bail. There is a well-established, respected norm amongst many friends and families, especially in the South, in which if you disagree or have a different opinion or see them drifting, you don't ever say anything to them. Don't talk about it. Don't even mention it. Don't totally ignore it. I mean, you can talk about it to other people, of course. Right? the South, right? But, but don't talk to them about it. Why? Because people have defined friend or family as 100% loyal and affirming to me, even if I'm 100% wrong. That's how we have defined friends and family. We have defined it as, you have to be loyal to me, even if I'm killing myself. And you have to affirm it. And if you're not clapping for me, then you're a, you're a bigot and you hate me. I'm talking about within the church, you yeah. know, just, okay, okay. Like, to disagree or push back, some people say that's the opposite of friendship. You are not my friend, I, right? How could you say that, right? And, of course, there's a balance. Like I said, if you like to pill, make people feel uncomfortable, you're a jerk, okay? Don't talk. But, on the other hand, if you are afraid to confront dysfunction or hypocrisy in people, then you might be a coward, and you might not love them as much as you really think. If you never lovingly confront those whom you love in relationships and say, man, I see some drifting here, bro. Like, I see that you're going down this way. And what happens if you're that person, you tend to attract dysfunctional people because you're an enabler, right? And they like to hang out with you. And they like you because you affirm their dumb decisions, that destroying their lives. And we often mistake that for Christ-likeness. See, Jesus always accepted misfits and sinners and outcasts, but he loved them so much not to leave them in the state he found them in. He loved them enough to confront them in their sins, didn't he, right? It just tended to be the misfits and the sinners and outcasts that knew they were sinners and hung around him even though he confronted them, right? It was the religious people that couldn't handle that. So the other side's being humble enough, y'all, to listen and consider when someone points it out, right? Do you make it easy for people to talk with you about your flaws? Or do you see disagreeing, or pushback as an assault on your value as a person? And do you either strike back with double the venom and deconstruct them and immediately point out all their flaws and why they're not qualified to help you? Or, that's one way people respond. The other way people respond is they just fall apart and crumble emotionally. And that's really, this, you're biting back. You're just doing it under the false pretence of humility. You're still saying, you don't have the right to address me like this, and I'm gonna let you know by coming completely undone emotionally. And how could you say that when I have this going on and all these reasons why my dysfunction and immaturity is acceptable, right? Obviously, this whole topic is rife in our society today, like cancel culture, right? All this stuff is wrapped up in emotional maturity and our ability to love people that we disagree with. Can I, can I say to you, let's take a big breath. Everyone in this room does not agree with you on everything, now, I, I know, right? I mean, I'm, I'm with you, I'm like, yeah, you're right, ha, ha, ha. But a lot of people can't handle that. And that's why this room is less empty than it was pre-COVID. Because of the emotional fragility that is just rife in our culture. People figured out in COVID, all these people don't think the way I think about politics and society. And I don't want to be around anyone who doesn't agree with me on all these topics. Dude, I'm just telling you, that's, your wife doesn't even agree with you on all the topics, bro. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Like, if that's the definition, like, I don't know, man, right? So some of us right now, we've just been uncomfortable the whole time because maybe you've equated loving someone with never disagreeing with them. Can I just tell you, that's not the nature of true love. It's not. And that's certainly not how I love my children. When they say, Dad, I want to play freeze tag in the highway, I'm going to say, I don't think that's a good idea because I love you, <laughs> right? I'd like to suggest that that's what love looks like. Now, here's the Here's the caveat. Can I disagree with them in a very superior, snobbish, arrogant, condescending way? Yep. Or I can disagree with them in a way that's like Jesus, and I get down with them on their level, and I come let us reason together, says the Lord. And in the end, say, hey, man, I love you. Here's my thoughts. But in the end, you're going to have to make your own decision because you're a big boy and girl, right? Let's not play freeze tag on the highway. Let's play it in the basement because there's AC in the basement. Sounds good. Outside's hot, okay? So, I know we've hit some touchy topics today, okay? And it would be foolish for us not to realize that God may want to engage us in some of these areas in our hearts and lives. So let's stand together, and then we're gonna come to the table. I just want to make an invitation uh, to you right now. And these are, these are tough, okay? So let's, let's put on our big boy pants. Um, if you burn, let's, come on, let's chat. If you burn up, any time someone tries to correct you or instruct you, if that is an immediate trigger, as soon as your wife says, go left here, <laughs> as, soon as, as soon as your friend says, actually, you might be able to do it this way. I, I've done it this way, and it's worked well for me. And you're just like, yeah, just, yeah it's big, you know? Um, I would like for you to address that today. And I think God wants to engage you in in that area. And I think he wants to supernaturally grow you and meet you in this place, okay? That's one. Um, Maybe also you are watching friends and family burn their life to the ground, making really stupid decisions and you are too afraid to address it. I I want you to get prayer today. We're gonna have people on either side of the stage that would be willing to pray for you just for boldness and love and courage to be able to talk about issues that are really difficult in a loving way. Just come receive prayer, man, all right? So let's come to the table. Um, We come to the communion table every week.